I'll review what we learned last week. But this week, we're going to talk a little bit about the spirit of mammon. How many of you have heard of the spirit of mammon? Or how many of you have read that you'll love God or mammon, and you've always wondered what mammon was? You've never really dug into it. So uh, today, I really feel that this is an opportunity for each of us to have some things revealed to make sure that a spirit of mammon hasn't landed within our life and hasn't attached itself or is whole. This, honestly, if I was just sharing this to see church offerings increase, that would be so manipulative that I don't think that the, the church offerings would increase. I think the Lord would deal with, with me in a different way regarding that. But I do know that if we don't have as individuals an understanding of what mammon is, it will really hinder us in our freedom and our walk uh, with the Lord and just our own financial freedom in our own home. So that's why we're going to be going into this today. I really believe it's going to benefit us. I would hate to think that a pastor would come up and preach something that he didn't think was going to benefit the people. Okay? So uh, the King's share, here's what we kind of established last week. Uh, Amber's working with me today, and we'll go through these really quickly. Just kind of a refresh, and maybe after we get them all up there, if you want to take a click of them, you can, or a picture of them. Number one, generosity is not an overflow of one's resources. Generosity is an overflow of one's heart. And we have established that principle at Faith Chapel. Uh, you don't give because you have a lot. You give because there's a lot in your heart to do. It's, a it's based out of who you are. Psalm chapter 24, verse 1. Uh, I quoted this last week. I didn't put it on the screen. It says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, or the King James says, all who dwell in it. So everything belongs to the Lord. So even when we're talking about tithing, um, you can't give tithe to the Lord. When God's word says over and over again to bring the Lord's tithe to him. You can't give something that was already his. You bring what's already his. And we kind of established that last week. Let's go through these quickly. I don't want to spend too much time on the refreshing here. So everything belongs to the Lord. Second refresh point. Third, God trusts us with his resources. And we must be careful not to claim to have ownership over that which he has called us to have stewardship. So when it comes to the things that are really within my possession or in control in my life, it's a stewardship issue, not an ownership issue. Uh, my, my daughters aren't here this morning, so it's always easier to talk about them when they're gone, even though some of their friends always manage to relay that message. But anyway, I really even feel this way with my daughters, with Emma and Sophia, that I don't have ownership over them, I have stewardship over them. They, they belong to the Lord more than they belong to me. And even though they're, they're my daughters, at the same time in the, in the Lord, they're my sisters in Christ. Now, as they get older, it's easier to see them that way, okay? Because it's easier to, to, to see that rather than just see them as my child. But I really, I mean, I really believe this with everything in me. I'm not called to have ownership over Emma and Sophie. I'm called to have stewardship over them, to help them have an encounter with their father with their king, and to walk out his purpose and his plan for their life. So I even see this when it comes to my own children, how much more the finances that he's entrusted to me, that he's released into my care. Uh, a tithe is, next point, a tithe is 10%. In the original Hebrew, tithe and 10 were the same thing. So when people say, well, why is tithing 10%? Because that's just what it was. Not a big explanation. Tithe and 10 meant the same thing. Uh, why, why did God ask it of us? 10% um, was the king's share. And you might recall that before we see any commands about tithing in Scripture, we actually see a response of God's people to bring the Lord his tithe before the Lord says to bring it. Remember, Jacob was the one that said, Lord, of everything that you bless me with, I'm going to give you 10%, because at the time that Jacob lived, 10% was the king's share. He had learned that principle from his grandfather, Abraham, that when Abraham was blessed with resources, he gave 10% to Melchizedek. Melchizedek was the king of the region. And so he gave 10, it was the king's share. So 10%'s the king's share. When I give 10% to the Lord, you know what I'm declaring in the atmosphere? God is my king. So 10% was and is the king's share. Next, a tithe is a declaration that God is your king. 
Next, a tithe is your guarantee that your king will take care of you as you live within his kingdom. I think sometimes it's easy in our Western mindset to forget that the king might have been wealthy, but the king had the responsibility for his constituency. He had the responsibility to make sure that the walls were fortified and built around the city to keep the people safe. The king had to provide the defense for the people. He was the one that led them into battle. We have a king that has built a wall around us, that is our defender, that leads us into battle, that watches our backside. We trust him, and 10% tithe is another declaration. God, I trust that, I, that you're my king, and I'm safe within your kingdom. And the last thing we mentioned last week is this. A tithe was prior to the law, during the law, and even after Jesus fulfilled the law. So I've, I've had people say to me, well, it was an Old Testament concept. If you don't mind, it was actually before the Old Testament. Moses was used to write the Old Testament. So when we read about Abel bringing the first fruit of his flock to the Lord, when we read about Abraham giving 10% to Melchizedek, when we read about Jacob declaring that the Lord would receive 10%, all of that was prior to the Torah being written. It was prior, it's recorded in the book of Genesis, but Genesis wasn't written yet, right? Moses wrote all, so it was prior to the law, and we'll look at some verses today to see where it was confirmed in the law, and Jesus, even as he was fulfilling the law, continued to talk about it. John chapter 3, verse 16, how many of you have heard it? Have you heard it? Okay, John three sixteen says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have ever, uh, eternal life. If, if I asked you what was maybe a central verse in the Bible, would most of us have a tendency to think about John 3.16? Is it fair enough to say that's one that we would tend to say proclaims a central truth in God's word? When you look at it, if you're not careful, you'll think that the truth is love. We know, though, there's three Greek words for love. There's agape, phileo, eros. Eros is where we get erotic or sensual, romance. Okay, guys, don't forget, start preparing now for Valentine's Day. Be ready ahead of time, okay? Eros is important. Phileo, brotherly love is important, okay? Philadelphia is named after that Greek word, the city of brotherly love, and yet it's also known as one of the worst cities for professional athletes to compete in because people are so hateful. Isn't it amazing how the enemy tries to steal anything that has something that has a meaning or an attachment to it? So phileo is brotherly love. Agape is self-sacrificial love. You wouldn't be surprised if I mentioned that God so agaped the world, that he so self-sacrificially loved the world. Uh, but I wouldn't even say that love is the central theme of this verse. I would say that it's what love does. God so loved that he gave. We recognize the love of God because of the way that he gave. If he was just up there loving without an action, we wouldn't know it. We wouldn't understand it. And I would say that giving is one of the central themes of Scripture. It's what the Lord has done for the world. It's what he's done for you and me. And honestly, it's, we're most like him when we give. When we give, we are most like the Father. Now, with all that said, let me say this. I don't think that giving, I'll put it in air quotes, giving is a, some hidden key to the kingdom to getting. And the problem is, if we teach giving to get, then what's our motivation for giving? Okay? And I would say, from my observations, and I, I know that I've been in ministry for a long time now, and there's some that are still older than me and younger than me. I can't believe we started pastoring this church 20 years ago. I'll be 49 this summer, which is insane. And some of you go, oh, that doesn't sound so bad. I wish I was 49. But for me, it's, I've never been there before. So it looks like I'm halfway into the grave. And, and honestly, if you take 49 and double it, I'm probably more than halfway to the grave. I remember when my dad turned 50. He's like, well, I've reached, I've reached middle age now. I'm like, dad, there's not a lot of 100-year-olds walking around. You passed that a few years ago. You're almost there. And and I prophesied, and that is where he is now. I didn't mean, you got to be, the tongue has the power of life and death. you got to be careful the way you use this thing. It can be dangerous. So, all right, so you just got to be careful about that. But in my observations growing up in the church, hearing a lot of messages on giving, 
I, I can tell you the way that I heard it, that the messages on giving were a lot more about what the church would be getting when we gave. It just was, and I'm not throwing stones, but that, listening to it, that's what I heard. Um, if you watch any Christian television or religious television, how many, how many things come back to money? And you've, you've got to give the money for us to continue to do what we're called to do. You're the one that makes the difference. I even heard a guy say, the problem isn't that God doesn't have the money. The problem is that he gave it to you and you need to let it go. I'm like, wow. To me, that seems rather manipulative. I don't think that giving is the key. I think that giving with the right heart is the key. Because when you give with the right heart, you really don't care if you get. And if you don't care if you get, lots of times, <laughs> those are the people that get. Okay, well, how do I not care when I do care, and how do I work? The, so let's, I think maybe looking at mammon a little bit will help us with this. Let me just review 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. When I say review, I haven't preached on it lately. I just mean I'm going to try to do this quickly. Paul wrote the church in Corinth. Um, Corinth, it was a crazy town. It was like Las Vegas of its day. There were temple prostitutes. There was lots of gambling. There were huge structures and monuments dedicated to all the Greek gods. Um, but the, the church had no place to call home. As a matter of fact, that's why two times in the book of Corinthians, uh, Paul says, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Because they were living in an area where they were surrounded by temples and felt like second-class citizens. And so Paul's encouraging them. And by the way, they didn't have their own temple to go to, but they were a temple for the Holy Spirit. And yet he was calling upon them to be generous givers because the church in Jerusalem was suffering in poverty. And he's like, man, God's meeting your needs. You've got to be willing to step up and help somebody else. And so it's in that context that 2 Corinthians 9 is written. And he says this, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly but whoever sows generously will also reap generously. In God's kingdom, generous sowing leads to generous reaping. I'm going to say it again because I liked it. In God's kingdom, generous sowing leads to generous reaping. My grandfather uh, was a man of few words. He was a farmer. And I remember one time when I was helping him plant the garden at the beginning of the year when I was a kid, and he is sowing the, he's sowing the corn seed, and he goes, you know what happens when you sow corn at the beginning of the summer? I go, what? He goes, you get corn at the end of the summer. I'm like, wow, that's marvelous. That's the wisdom, Grandpa. Thank you. World War II vet, Normandy the third day. I mean, come on. You brought it. But there, there really is a simple principle. You reap what you sow. How many of you reminded your children of this from time to time? How many of your parents have reminded you now that you have children? You ever had that happen? They're like, I was praying you would reap what you would sow. And you're like, that little hellion that you gave birth to is, is because you are reaping what you sowed, okay? Uh, when you're a kid, you don't even know how bad you are. My, my, my middle name's actually Bradley, and uh, I go by Brad. I don't know if you want the family history, but my name's Robert Bradley Riley, Mom wanted to name me after my dad, but didn't want to call me the same name because we would both go, what, every time she said the name. So I didn't realize till later that my uncles actually called me Bratley behind my back. They told me when I was like 40, they're like, oh yeah, we all called you Bratley. And I'm like, I just thought you loved me. And they're like, oh no, not at all. And... Hey, you grow up, you look back, and then you suffer wounds. You know what I mean? Everything was fine until they tell you. And so I didn't realize how much of a brat that I was, but I heard that my dad was reaping what he sowed, okay? We believe in the law of sowing and reaping. Let me, let me remind you, you got, every one of you tend to believe it in the negative. You already do. I don't even have to convince you that if you sow poop, you're going to reap poop. I don't have to convince you of that at all. But for whatever reason, if I talk to you about sowing generously into the kingdom of heaven, something starts working against us. Oh, no, I don't know if I'll really reap because I probably have an ulterior motive. I'm probably manipulative. That's for other people. That's not me. Other people get blessed. I don't get blessed. You know what that's called? That's called a poverty mentality and a poverty spirit. 
A poverty spirit has a hard time receiving the blessings of God. A poverty spirit actually will justify the blessings of God. I've had to battle through a poverty spirit. It was a part of what was on my family growing up, and it works with the spirit of mammon. I remember uh, somebody blessed us with a trip to Hawaii, and somebody came to me, and they're like, wow, we heard you got to go to Hawaii. That poverty mentality was on my life even two and a half, three years ago that I had to fight against it to keep from saying, well, somebody gave us the tickets. Like I have to, as a pastor, justify that we didn't spend the money on the ticket. Somebody gave it to us, so don't judge me as handling money frivolously. That's a poverty mentality. That's when you're not able to just to receive. It doesn't, it's nobody's business whether somebody gave me, the, gave me the trip or I've got a business making a million a year. It's nobody's business. And if God's blessing me. Now, I don't have a business making a million a year. Well, I did it again. Okay, so I think it's something that we have to understand. We've got to be careful about it. If you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. It doesn't mean you won't reap. It just means that you won't reap the way that you could. And if you sow generously, you reap generously. I've got several examples, examples that I could share with you. I feel like I need to get to this mammon thing. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give. Now, by the way, that, that's not just every day. Okay, you know what? I want to be a $20 a week giver to the Lord. That's what I've decided. That's what I'm going to do. This is different than tithing. Remember the context. This was in meeting the needs of the poor. This was, this was, but it's still showing the principle of being a generous giver. As you guys know, the third week of February, every year, we collect an offering for Convoy of Hope one day to feed the world. And I, I'm believing that we're going to be able to give Convoy of Hope $80,000 this year. So I'm asking God to give us at least $50,000 on that Sunday morning from us, that we would say, Lord, what do you want us to do? Because every $10 feeds a child for a month. Every 10 What could we do in one day if we all so generously, maybe even sacrificially, and we said, you know what, I'm putting something for myself on hold for a couple of months because I'm going to actually feed a child. Each one should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. By the way, the translation here is horrible. Um, it would really be, the not reluctantly part is a good translation, that once you've decided, don't be reluctant about it, go for it. But the under compulsion is not the best translation. That would be more um, like somebody has twisted your arm to do so okay don't give because somebody's twisting your arm to make it happen you need to do it just because you're not reluctant and we get the line because god loves a what cheerful giver what does that mean does it mean he hates uncheerful givers i, I don't think he hates them but he celebrates those that understand a generous spirit and God's able to bless you abundantly, I love this, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So that's telling me God is going to bless me, not just financially, he's going to bless me in every area of my life. Every area of my life. Literally, this morning, somebody told me that the Lord dealt with them, that they were supposed to be tithing on their gross income rather than their net income. Somebody told me that this morning at church. There, now, we all know what gross income is, right? It's when we earn everything that we can earn before taxes, and we look at it, and we're still disgusted. And you know what I'm talking about? You're like, dude, I have been in the workforce for 30 years, and that's what I'm earning? Gross, okay? So that, that's what gross income is. Literally. I, I don't know if that's quite accurate or not, but we'll roll with it, Okay. This person began tithing on their gross, gross income and wrote a check with the difference. And guess what? Would you be surprised that they got money given to them this week, in, this past week, in the exact amount of what the difference was? It just never fails. They didn't do it to get. They gave it to say, this is what the Lord's laying on my heart to do. And I, Beth and I tithe on our gross income. I feel like if Uncle Sam gets his off the gross and misuses it, that, not now, they're pretty well shut down, but if, if, um, if Uncle Sam gets his off the gross, then I'm going to make sure that my Heavenly Father gets his off the gross. It's just, that's the conviction in our own heart. I've had people say to me, I don't increase by that. I only increase by what I brought home. 
I don't increase because if taxes came out, that's not my increase. I'm like, you do, you do in your heart what you feel like before the Lord's right. This is what we feel like before the Lord is right, okay? Um, here's a quote from Robert Morris. We've got to speed up. You guys are really slowing me down today. God invented giving. He's the pastor of Gateway Church down in, Dallas, or down in Texas, a small church of about 35,000. Um, God invented giving to get greed and selfishness out of our lives, but the problem is that we tend to preach giving in a way that brings greed and selfishness right back into our lives. It's pretty strong. It's pretty strong. Um, it's, I kind of said that earlier, but since quoting famous people is more influential, I quoted him and Jack Ood. Did you notice that? I read Robert Morris and Jack went, ooh. I said the same thing 10 minutes ago, and he's just over there drinking a coffee, okay? So it's just the way it works, and as a local pastor, you just accept it, okay? It is what it is. Noel can come in here with a stupid accent, preach the, <laughs> preach the same message I preach, and you guys are like, he's amazing. So. But I'm not bitter. Not bitter. Matter of fact, I'll be with him next Sunday talking about you guys, all right? So, Pastor Beth's preaching next week, so, yes. All right, Luke chapter 16. Let's quote the words of Jesus from the King James, because Jesus always spoke in the King James. This is um, after that famous, par or maybe not so famous parable of the, uh, the shrewd manager. Remember that one? The shrewd manager guy, and he's like, hey, you owe my master some money, how about we settle? And he kept settling for less than what they really owed because he was like, I don't know how to work, so when I lose my job, I might need some people to help me out. And Jesus said, don't you understand, people in the world are more shrewd than the people in the kingdom. And he actually, rather than using the manager as a negative example, he used it as a positive one, and he said, we need to be shrewd in the kingdom, Okay. And so from the end of that story, it picks up here, and he says, he that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. So faithfulness really isn't about what, how much you have. Faithfulness is more about what you do with how much or how little. doesn't really matter. If you're faithful with 10 bucks, you're going to be faithful with 1,000. Okay? If you're faithful with 1,000, you're going to be faithful with tens of thousands. He that is faithful with that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is also unjust in much. Um, and that probably would be returning, referring to finances contextually. But then he starts to kind of turn it a little bit. And he says, if therefore ye have not been faithful, look at this, in the unrighteous mammon. If you haven't handled that we would, in the, in the newer translations, they just simply use the word money. I didn't use the newer translations because it's not the word money. Okay, uh, unrighteous mammon would be wealth. Let me say it this way. It would be the spirit behind wealth, the spirit behind finances. If you haven't handled unrighteous mammon well, who will commit to you uh, or who will commit to your trust true riches? Now think about that for a second. Jesus says, if you don't handle wealth well, who's going to trust you with something that's really valuable? Which leads to the question, what's really valuable? And if ye have not been faithful in that which is, in another, which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? Once again, the inference that the wealth that you have doesn't really belong to you. It belongs to someone else. And the actual key to having something that belongs to you is handling well that which doesn't belong to you. No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Jesus brings it down to this. I've heard people say you can't serve God or money. You can't serve God and money. Now I would agree with that statement, but it's more than that statement. Jesus said you can't serve God and mammon. So let's define mammon a little bit. I think we've got a lot that we're going to go through as quickly as we can. Mammon, here we go. Number one, mammon is an Aramaic translation for the word money. 
But that is the least of the meaning of the word mammon. In Aramaic, which was the common language of the day, it's, it's, it's that translation for the word money. However, point two, at the time that Jesus spoke, it was known as the name of the Syrian god of riches. So literally, when Jesus said, you can't serve God, Yahweh, or mammon, he was stating another god. We might not take it this way in 2018 in O'Fallon, Missouri, okay? But they, remember, to understand scripture, we have to have a context of who he was speaking to and the way they would have heard it. They would have heard of the Syrian god of riches, that's the default that would have been in their mind. Also, mammon is the spirit behind riches, wealth, and finances. If you think that money doesn't have a spirit attached to it, bring me $100 right now. Have you ever had the Lord lay on your heart to give someone, let's not talk about church giving, but to give someone $100 or $200, out, just he put somebody on your heart that you needed to minister to, and that $100 or $200 in that moment felt really, really large. Hey, and, and you might even be worth some money, okay? But it didn't change the fact that that $100 or $200 felt huge. Have you ever had a moment where somebody's blessed you with a hundred or two hundred dollars and it felt small? That's mammon. Mammon tells you it's too much to give and mammon also tells you it's not enough to make a difference when you receive it. Mammon lies on both sides. Mammon says you need to hold everything that you can because that's how you're going to make it. But mammon simultaneously says you don't have enough anyway. Mammon tells you you don't have enough while telling you that you have to hold to take care of yourself. How does that work? The whole thing's a convoluted lie. Um, mammon also had its roots in Babylon, which by the way, if you know anything about Babylon, they did babble on and on and on. And it will try to keep you in confusion. Okay, I'm not going to do a whole study on Babylon today. We've talked about it before and we will again. Mammon speaks. Does it, uh, what, let's back that up for one second, Amber. Um, if you want to take a picture of that, go ahead and do so, okay? These are just com <coughs> excuse me, some truths about mammon. But let's talk about mammon speaking. I've already started inferring a couple of things. Okay, here we go. Mammon speaks, number one. It really speaks when you're challenged to give. There is nothing that stirs up pastors and stirs up parishioners as a giving series. There, there's just nothing like it. Um, I don't preach on giving finances all that often, and yet I've had people over the 20 years at Faith Chapel that have visited and said, I haven't been here in months, and I walk in, and yet, every time I walk in, you're talking about giving. Now, when I was younger, I apologized, but then when I grew crusty, I started saying things like, well, then obviously you need to receive it so we can move on. <laughs> you came four times last year. I preached on four times, on finances four times last year. You were here for all four. That's your issue, not my issue. I mean, you see what I'm saying? Obviously, the Lord's trying to speak something to some way, trying to convince somebody of something, okay? Uh, it really speaks, number two, it tells you that you don't have enough. Number three, it tells you that you need to buy and keep while God is challenging you to sow and reap. The exact opposite of what the Father's saying. Um, have you ever watched the show Hoarding? Quit watching it. There's a spirit on it. People give up their families for their stuff. And if you've watched it, sometimes they give up their, for their families for their broken down, destroyed, nasty stuff. 
with rats living in it, bringing sickness into the home, and this person's on the edge of emphysema now because of their living conditions, but mammon won't let it go. Hoarding is a spiritual issue. It's more than a physical issue. It's a spiritual issue. That's why God put Kristen Skibo in Bob's life to make sure that he never yields to hoarding. Can I get an amen? Amen. I could just sense that and felt like I should call it out. Bob left, and that's what he gets for leaving. Okay. Um, it promises to take care of you while simultaneously telling you that you don't have enough for what you need. Have you ever made a nice profit on a business deal, but at the end of the deal, it still wasn't enough? It just wasn't enough. You, don't even, you can't even necessarily identify why. It's the spirit that's behind it. Like the Antichrist, next point, I think this one's remarkable, personally. Like the Antichrist, mammon rules through the threat of not having the ability to buy or sell. I don't know how the whole thing's going to work, but when the Antichrist, God's word says that if there's not a mark on a person, they cannot buy or sell. So the threat that allows the Antichrist to dominate over humankind is you've got no resources unless you receive this mark. That's the same thing Mammon says. Mammon says, you've got to keep the resources or you can't buy and sell for yourself. It's the same lie. It's an antichrist spirit when you think about it. Next, Mammon tries to get you to trust it rather than trusting in God. Uh, Mammon tries to get you to trust in money more than God. Let me illustrate it this way. Have you ever said to your spouse, we either need a miracle from God or a big check? You ever said that? Now, we either need a miracle from God or we need a bunch of money. You see the spiritual implications of that statement? That, I mean, Jesus said you'll love God or you'll love money. Mammon. And when you're saying God needs to come through or we need money so that we can come through for ourselves. I mean, it's selfishness. I'm here to tell you right now, you don't need money to survive. You need the presence of Jesus. Jesus said, foxes don't even have holes. Birds don't, our bird, foxes have holes. Birds have nests. Son of man doesn't even know where he's going to be laying his head down tonight, which is remarkable because he was God and he knew everything. And yet, son of man said, I don't even know where I'm going to be laying my head down tonight. Are you going to follow me? If you're really going to follow me, you are entering into a life of trust in a way that you've never even dreamed of before. What if the Lord spoke to you and you've worked for the last three years to finally save $10,000 in your savings account? You beat the Dave Ramsey emergency fund. You finally have a chunk of money. You're feeling a little bit more secure than you've ever felt financially. And that's when the Lord says, take it and give it to one day to feed the world. Then we go, Lord, that's 36 months. We've given up meals. We've scraped. We've been careful. We haven't bought a new car. We've done, we've done, we've done. He's like, do you trust me or not? I'm here to tell you right now, if the Lord takes you into that moment and says, give the $10,000 to one day to feed the world, to feed children, do you think that he is not going to outpour heaven on you? I mean, you will reap what you sow. You did with your children. You will in the kingdom. Okay? Mammon falsely promises things only God can give. Mammon promises things that only God can give. You want to get a picture of all those? Let's, I think we have it where we could have, it's crowded, but if you just want to get them all at one time. Okay? So here's the thing about it. We will either let mammon dictate how we handle money, or we'll yield to the leading of God's spirit in managing it, in managing money. So it's either going to be, there's no middle ground. Either mammon's directing us or the Spirit of God is directing us. I've got a couple th more things I'll say about mammon, and I don't have them for the, the screen, just a couple more observations. Mammon is selfish, but God is generous. Mammon always works with other spirits. If you know anything about the spiritual realm, um, demonic spirits work together. Okay, They always work together. Birds of a feather flock together. 
and demonic spirits. Jesus even said, if you cast a spirit out of someone and they're cleaned up, but they don't fill themselves with the Holy Spirit, what happens? That spirit will go find seven, and it says more wicked than itself, which would infer there's some sort of ranking system in the supernatural realm. And they'll go get other spirits, and it says the final condition of that person is even worse than the first condition was. So um, when it comes to the spirit of mammon, he works with other false spirits. I'll tell you what they are. The spirit of poverty, the spirit of greed, and the spirit of pride. Poverty, greed, and pride. Poverty, I never have enough, or ashamed of the blessing. Greed, hold everything that I have and give me more. Okay, I've always got to have more. Pride just refuses to acknowledge that God's the one that blesses you anyway. Pride says, look what I've done for myself. You realize if you're the smartest person in the room, it's only by God's design that you're the smartest person in the room. He's the one that gave you that capacity to be able to operate that way. Anybody else, you ever look up, you hear the the stories of your neighbor's kids that they have a 4.8? They've, they've knocked out 27 uh, credit hours of college by their junior year of high school. And you, you're like, you look at your spouse and you're like, where's your genetics to, to help me out? You know what I mean? You know what I'm talking about? You ever do that? And I mean, we've, we've heard na- our neighbors, there's all these, he's, going, he's been, Harvard accepted him. I'm like, Harvard? For the love, Beth. I was hoping she had enough strength in her gene pool to overcome the Riley family genes, okay? The only thing that ran in our genes was diarrhea. You know what I'm talking about? I, we, I, needed, I needed some, I was hoping for some strength here. So that's just how rough the Riley family is, that even the Wagners couldn't overcome it. So craziness. My daughters are brilliant. Well, they're cute. They're cute. Anyway, okay. Um, what's one of the ways that we can deal with the spirit of mammon? You ready? We can breathe God as tithe. That's one of the ways that we can deal with it. Look in Exodus chapter 23, uh, verse 19. Oh, I have way too much. But I'm not preaching next week, so we're going to be here till 11. I'm kidding. I'm going to try to do this quickly. Bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. Notice it didn't even say give it. It said bring it. Bring the best. In Exodus 23, if you read the whole chapter, part of this chapter is talking about bringing the Lord his tithe. Part of the chapter is also talking about three offerings a year where God wanted his people to bring extra for the poor. Guess which three offerings we do every year for the poor. Bless you. Remember those offerings? Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. Because those three times a year, God specifically said, bring it to the house of the Lord that there may be food for those that don't have food. So besides one day to feed the world, besides what we do for Samuel's house, three times a year, this is something that we do together, and we do it in that Jewish calendar. We just time it out with with Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. The Lord says, bring the best notice of the first fruits. He doesn't want you holding on to what you have for yourself. He wants you to bring the best to him first. In my opinion, when it comes to giving, it's not just what we give, but when we give. So in other words, when Beth and I receive payment, when we receive payment for services rendered, we receive a a salary check, when I sit down to pay my bills, if it's not the first check I write, and I usually try to make sure in my head it's the first one that I write, it is paid the day that I receive it, because I want to make sure I'm bringing my first fruits to the Lord. Remember, if there's a spirit on money, I want to redeem what is left behind. I'm honoring the Lord with the first 10% and breaking that spirit over what's left so that it can do what God's wanted it to do all along. Let me give you an example of this from Genesis chapter 4. This is the story of Cain and Abel. Just... We'll just read this and just observe it with me. I won't like hermeneutically exegete the whole thing, okay? Good? All right. 
Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. We have no issues. These are the ways that they provided for themselves. I've had people say, Cain's offering wasn't received because it wasn't a blood offering. Well, you're not going to get blood out of a turnip. Okay? So it doesn't matter. One took care of flocks. One worked the soil, worked the field. So it wasn't about what they were raising or working with. But look at this. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. Notice that. As a matter of fact, in the Hebrew, it says over the process of time, which is real similar to course of time. So we don't know how long it was, but over a period of time, Cain brought, and I'm going to insert the word finally because that's what it's inferring. He finally brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord over the course of time. But Abel also brought an offering. Notice, fat portions. How many know that marbleized meat's the best? Okay, we don't want to eat the fat, but it sure makes the rest of it taste better. He brought the fat portions for some of what? The firstborn of his flock, completely different. Cain gave what Cain wanted when he wanted. Abel gave what God wanted when God wanted. Cain brought some over the course of time. Abel brought the best at the beginning of time and gave it to him. The Lord, look, the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he didn't look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast, and we really get to see the spirit of his offering because he went out and he did what? He murdered his brother. Wow, talk about being mad that you didn't reap what you sowed. I've seen people give sacrificially and become bitter about it. I've been a pastor for 20 years. I've had people say to me, you've preached on giving and you told me this would happen and it didn't happen and I knew it wouldn't happen and chew me out because they didn't think they were getting from God what they were supposed to get for their giving. And I'm like, if this is your attitude, no wonder you didn't get. Because the spirit of mammon connected to money is going to be more of a problem for you. This, this isn't about me preaching God's word. It's about you receiving what God has for you. Um, I'm going to go five minutes late today because I want to wrap this up, and I want to talk about redemption in the context of tithing. Um, in Exodus chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, and I know, I know I've went long. The second service, I'll go longer, okay? They're not as smart as you guys, so it, it, be encouraged that you guys get it quicker than they do. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether human or animal. God, you all remember the story when he brought the people out of, uh, out of Egypt and the firstborn of the Egyptians died because the blood of the Passover lamb wasn't over the doorpost of their home, but the Lord had blood over each of his people's home and he spared the firstborn. Basically, if you don't mind me saying it this way, the Lord's saying, hey, the firstborn that I protected for you, they're mine. They belong to me. So what does that mean? Does that mean we all need to be like Hannah? that took Samuel and dropped, her, dropped him off at the temple. The Lord said, here's what you need to do. You need to consecrate every firstborn male, and you can redeem it. Well, let's go to the next uh, passage, Amber, and we'll talk about the redemption. <coughs> Excuse me. After the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, so he's enforcing this as they move into the promised land, and he gives it to you as he promised on oath to you and your ancestors, you are to give over to the Lord the firstborn of every womb. So the firstborn belongs to the Lord. All the firstborn males, and also notice, of your livestock belong to the Lord. Redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey, but if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem every firstborn among your sons. All right, let's make this simple. God says the firstborn male of every family belongs to me. And because they do, when that child is born, you need to redeem that child. You want, you want to raise that child in your home? Here's how you do it. Take a lamb, bring the lamb to me, and sacrifice the lamb for the redemption of the child. You think there's some prophetic imagery in tithing? Sacrifice the lamb for the child. Now, 
if uh, uh, mother sheep is, what do they call them, ewes? I don't even know, all right? Is that right? How do I even know that? That's so cool. Thank you. Thank you. I'll be here till Thursday. Actually, just Wednesday. But, um, okay. So, uh, a firstborn lamb, you know what you did with the firstborn lamb? It was given to the Lord. It was sacrificed. A donkey was an unclean animal. Had they, yeah, the firstborn donkey was an unclean animal. And the Lord says, if you, when a firstborn donkey is born, if you want to keep it, you need to redeem that donkey. How do you redeem the donkey? You ready? You kill a lamb. The clean are sacrificed for the unclean. A lamb was sacrificed for the firstborn son. A lamb was sacrificed for the firstborn donkey. Now, if you don't want to sacrifice a lamb and you're like, I don't give a rip about the donkey, then God's word says break its neck. If you're not going to redeem it, don't even keep it. This is where tithing becomes redemptive. If you're not redeeming your wealth, don't keep it. It's going to be a problem for you. Now, imagine a child coming up to his dad. Dad, you're a shepherd. And yet, I've noticed our profits aren't as high as they could be. Well, why would you say that, son? Jethro. Well, Dad, you have a habit of killing the firstborn of every one of the sheep. Have you ever noticed that? It doesn't matter which If it's a firstborn, you kill it. I, and I've never really understood this about your, about your modus operandi when it comes to business. I, we could make a lot more money if you would quit killing the profits. And the dad looks at his son. You know what the dad says? Let's go to the next verse. In the days to come, when your son asks you, what does this mean? Say to him, with a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, the land of slavery. You see, when you kill your lamb, eventually your child's going to come to you and say, why do you do that? And you say, the reason I do this is because we were slaves in a foreign land, and God sent a deliverer. And he killed the firstborn of the Egyptians, but he saved us. And he brought us out of a land of slavery. And he took us through the Red Sea. And he took us through the wilderness. And he gave us this land and homes that we never built for ourselves. And he took us from slavery to blessing, from darkness to light, from outside to inside. We've been adopted as sons. And we sacrifice this first lamb because the Lord says, when I bring you out, this is what I'm asking of you so we'll never forget that we've been liberated from slavery that's why I've had a very similar thing happen I've had Sophia when she was four or five years old come into my office I'm writing bills paying some of them online writing some checks to others and I wrote the check to Faith Chapel and Sophia said, Dad, why are you writing a check to Faith Chapel? I go, honey, because Mom and Dad are giving our tithe. We're bringing our tithe back to the Lord. His tithe, it's His. Well, why do you do that? Well, sweetheart, your mom and dad were slaves. What? We were in sin. We were bound. We didn't even know we needed a Savior. But Jesus saved us. And He asked that because he's our king, that the first 10% would go to him. And so we, give, we bring our first 10% back to the Lord because it's his. And everything in this house, everything that we have, it's because of the way that he takes care of us. Sweetheart, this check is a reminder that we used to be slaves, but we're free now. And we're liberated. You see, that's why you bring your children into your giving. It's why you bring them into the tithing. And not only was it a look back at what God had done, but it was a prophetic word because I want you to know Jesus is God's tithe. The lamb sacrificed for the redemption of many. Broken, if you don't mind me saying it, so that we donkeys could live with freedom and hope and grace. Be a giver. Be a tither. I'll close with this. When it comes to tithing, there's only two options. You either bring it to the Lord or you steal it. I just can't see it in any other way in Scripture. You either bring it to the Lord or you steal it. It's not ours. It's His. 
And the last thing that Brad and Beth Riley are going to be is thieves. We're going to bring him what's his. So this year, I challenge you to be tithers. If, and if you're visiting today, and you're like, man, this has been encouraging, but this is not my church home, you bring your tithe to your church home, okay? Don't bring it to Faith Chapel. You bring it to your church home. God's word's pretty clear. It says, so that there may be food in my house. And the reason it was brought to local places is it ministered to the local needs and then it ministered through to needs that were so much more than just local. And uh, I can't wait to share with you guys soon, all the numbers were crunched, how many thousands and thousands of dollars that you gave last year to the poor and the needy and the broken. It's amazing. But I'm here to tell you, that's on top of bringing his tithe to him. And I challenge you to honor him with it. Let's stand together. Amen. Pastor Beth will be preaching next week, uh, starting a series that we'll be doing for the next five weeks called FC Fearless. FC Fearless. She's uh, going to have great stuff for you. And uh, I'll be preaching as well. And I, I'll, I think we're going to do one of them together. So I think Pastor Beth's opening us up, and uh, I'll be preaching the next one. It's either the third or fourth one that we'll be doing together. And if you've never been here when Beth and I preach together, it's one of the most miserable experiences. Um, it, it, we have a blast driving each other crazy. So I would love for you to be a part of it. Um, our styles are, as you can tell, uh, our I'm manuscript, never get away from my notes. Beth free floats, whatever she wants to talk about. It creates some challenges when we're working together. So it's fun. Um, honor God with your giving and honor God with his tithe. Okay, he'll bless you for it. We got another service starting in 24 minutes. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your goodness, your kindness, and your grace. And I thank you that with a mighty hand, you've redeemed us from the land of slavery. We might not have been slaves in Egypt, but we were slaves to sin, to self, to mammon, to the demonic. There's so many of us in this room that have had demonic strongholds broken off of our lives. We are just so grateful that you've redeemed us. And we declare that the 10% is yours, it's your share, and it's the obedience test of our life to honor you with that 10%. And I pray that we will so that we can continue to walk in the freedom and the fullness of your kingdom. And I ask that we as a church will not listen to the spirit of mammon, but will be led by the spirit of God. Bless your people and keep them and watch over them in Jesus' name. Amen.